Thanks for tuning in to Next Level Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at nextlevelchurch.net. Well, hello to you for everyone that's in person. Thank you so much for, for being here. Uh, we started this, series, this uh, service to give an opportunity for those who could not come to church on, on Sunday. For whatever reason, they may not can make it. And so this is providing, and we want to continue to build this service. So if you know people who say, I can't go to church on Sundays, invite them to come on the Wednesday service. But the second reason that we started this service is because um, we were filming our online service to an empty room. We were filming it during the week, and it is very difficult to preach and to lead worship when there's no one in the chairs. So the fact that you are here and you are present, it makes a big difference. But I want to tell you that being here is only half the battle. The rest of the battle is actually engaging with what we're doing. And so if you want me to preach better, I need you to show a little bit engagement by, you can at least nod your head if you like what you hear. You could say, mm-hmm, that's good. I'll receive that. If you want, if you're old school church, you could say amen. No one will judge you for saying that. But uh, if I tell a joke, just laugh, even if it's not funny. If you would do that, I promise you the sermon's going to go a lot, a lot better. And to everyone who is watching online, thank you for being a part of our community. We're so honored that you're here and you're a part of what God is doing at Next Level Church. Well, today... We're continuing our series, Tanks A Lot, and uh, I want to do a little bit of review to make sure that we're all on the same page. What we learned in week one is that we become people who are grateful when we understand what Jesus has done for us. That this series will not change your life if you just, uh, if you just say, I'm going to practice being more grateful. I want to be a more generous person. I want to say thank you more. You'll forget about that once we move on from this series. But life change happens when we really understand what Jesus has done for us. And on week one, we looked at a time where a guy had a skin disease and he came to Jesus and he thanked Jesus for healing him. But the word that Jesus used was not just healing him of his skin disease. It was the word sozo. Anyone remember sozo? It's a fun word to say. Would you humor me and just say that out loud on the count of three? One, two, three. Sozo. Sozo means saved, delivered, or healed. And what Jesus did for this man is he didn't just heal him of his physical disease. He saved his soul and he made him whole. And when the guy felt wholeness inside of him, when he realized what he was saved from, he dropped to his knees and he became a person that was grateful. So last week then we talked about, well, what is gratitude? The gratitude is different than saying thank you. You can say thank you for something and not really have a grateful heart. According to psychologists, gratitude is more than feeling thankful It is a deeper appreciation for someone or something that produces longer lasting positivity. Now, this gratitude is where we want to get to because science shows us that when we practice gratitude and when we are grateful people, it literally rewires our brains. And when we are gracious, it reduces anxiety, it reduces worry, it reduces envy. There are so many health benefits to being grateful. Literally, people who practice gratitude and are grateful people, it lowers their, their, um, uh, the depression that comes into their life. So there's so many benefits from being grateful, and it's so much more than just saying thank you. But in order to get there, we can't just say, I'm going you know, to start a gratitude journal and hope for the best. I'm just going to start saying thank you. I'm just going to appreciate things more. Our greatest intentions will not change our hearts. 
The only way our hearts are changed is when we reflect on and think about what Jesus has done for us. And the way that we do that on a regular basis is by thinking about and understanding the gospel. Now, gospel is, is a word that you find all throughout the New Testament. The word gospel, it literally means good news. So it is a good thing. But in order to understand the good news, you have to understand there is some bad news that comes with the gospel. And the bad news is, I don't think it's really bad news. I just think it's like painting the picture of how we really are. The news is, is that we are all born sinful creatures. All of us are. And we all have fallen short of God's glory. And none of us, none of us are born perfect. None of us are born where we always make the right decision. All of us are born with some selfishness inside of us. There is a desire for all of us to do what is best for us, even if it hurts other people. And so Jesus comes along and he says, I see your selfishness and I match you with unconditional love. And I forgive you for your sins. And when you understand that, when you understand the gospel, when you really understand what Jesus has done for you, it produces a gratitude that doesn't go away. This gratitude is not based on your circumstances. It's not based on if you had a good day or if everything went your way. This gratitude comes from, I just can't stop thanking God for what he did for me. You never graduate from needing the gospel. And this is important, especially if you've been in church for a little while, because in a lot of church circles, the gospel just means that you tell someone they need Jesus. And once they believe in Jesus, then they never think about that word gospel anymore. But the gospel is not something that you just hear one time and then you believe. The gospel is something that we need to be reminded of every single day. That every day we have to remind ourselves, you know what, it's a struggle. That every day we have to remind ourselves, that, you know what, there's something inside of me that even though I believe in Jesus, there's something inside of me that doesn't really want to live for Jesus. Even though Jesus has saved me and I've accepted that, there are days when I just really would rather live for myself than to live for Jesus. And the gospel is that constant thing that reminds you that despite our selfishness, despite our sin, Jesus still loves us, died for us, and he is worthy of all of our attention and all of our hearts. When we understand that and really understand the gospel, it will naturally produce gratitude. And I want to show you this in our text for today. Now, at Next Level, we do something that might be a little strange for some of you, but what we do is we honor the text, and the reason that we do that is because we believe that this is the Word of God and that it deserves honor. It's, God's, it's the way that God is going to speak to us. So the way that we honor it is we stand to our feet. So I want to invite you to stand to your feet and read with me nice and loud 2 Corinthians 4.15. When we get to the reference, 2 Corinthians 4.15, you'll see two dots. We like to have a little bit of fun, and uh, if you're not a Scrooge, you will participate in this. The fun that we have is we just pump our fists and we say dot, dot at those two dots. And it's a little fun thing that we do. Will you read it with me nice and loud? It says, all this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 4, dot, dot, 15. Now that we've read the text, let's go to God in prayer. And I want to give you a moment just to quietly talk to God in your heart. I don't know where you're at in your spiritual walk. I don't know if you feel close to God or if you feel like God is distant. I don't know if you've prayed a lot or you've barely prayed at all. But I want to give you a chance to talk to God. And if you don't know what to say, I would invite you to pray a simple prayer. It's just, God, would you speak to my heart? And would you help me to do whatever you tell me to do? Would you spend a few seconds just quietly talking to God?
And God, that is our prayer, that you would change us, that we would care less about our selfishness and our sin, and that we would care more about you. And we ask, God, that you would open our eyes, that you would open our spiritual eyes and the eyes of our heart, that we would see you and open our spiritual ears so that we could hear you. And we ask, God, that you would just change us from the inside out. And God, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, you are my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. So uh, just with a show of hands, um, have you ever heard the phrase that it's the thought that counts? Like, have you ever heard that? Like, it, when do people say that? They say it with a gift, right? They, they may give you a bad gift or something that you didn't want, and then they say, oh, it's the thought, it's the thought that counts, right? I think that phrase is a lie from the pit of hell. It is not the thought that counts. If the thought produces more work or a burden for the people you've given it to, it is a horrible gift, and you need to understand that. My in-laws one time sent my three-year-old twins home with live fish. (laughs) It's not the thought that counts. That is a burden that we had to take care of. My three-year-old twins did not know how to clean out the fishbowl. And you might be saying, it's a fish, it's easy to take care of. Not when you didn't want the fish to begin with. And when you are sitting there cleaning out the poop in the fishbowl, it's a burden. You don't think, I'm so grateful they thought of us. A handful of years ago, uh, a friend of mine went to, to on vacation. And when they came back, they gave me a gift. And my, one of my love languages is gifts. I, I really do love receiving gifts. And so I was so excited to open the gift. But when I opened it, it was potentially the ugliest shirt I've ever seen in my life. It was hideous. It was loud. It was, it was horrible. And I first thought it was a joke. But then they left the price tag on it. And they spent $75 on this shirt. And then they said the phrase... We saw this shirt and we instantly thought of you. (laughs) What does that mean? Like, with friends like that, we don't need enemies. Like, here I am thinking that this is the ugliest shirt I've ever seen. And they respond, we saw this and thought of you. Why? Why did you see that? What about this shirt made you think I would want to wear it? But then I have the burden of I can't get rid of this shirt because they left the price tag on and it cost $75. And I felt the burden to wear it because they they gave me this gift. It's not the thought that counts, though. I'm telling you. Uh, One time, I feel this way really a lot of times with books. Uh, I don't know how you feel about books, but I enjoy reading. I just struggle with the discipline of reading. And so I will put myself in a book club or or have some friend read a book with it. And that gives me the discipline that I need to read books. But I have a stack of books that I want to try to get through. And I'm always adding to this stack. So when someone comes up to me and hands me a book that I didn't ask for, that I didn't want, it feels a little bit like a burden. Like, I don't know what your angle is with this book. And I already have a stack of books that I haven't got to. So a few years ago, someone came up to me after the service and said, uh, you, I got this book for you, and um, I don't know if you can see it from where you're at, but it's bent. The pages are bent. There's a crease down the middle of it. This is a very used book, and the person that gave it to me didn't give me any context, just handed it to me and said, here's a book, and so I put it on my desk, and I just ignored it, but I felt this burden 
because I was convinced that the very next Sunday, this person was going to ask me, did you read any of my book? Did you like the book? And so it just sat on my desk. And then at the end of the week, I just said to myself, I'm just going to flip through it. I'm just going to skim. So if they ask me if I read it, I could just say, yeah, like I read some of it. Like, yeah, you know, thank you for, for the book. And so I just started skimming and I found a chapter title that I thought like sounded decently interesting. And I had no desire to read this book, but I started reading the chapter. And when I started reading it, I was captivated by what the author was saying. And I finished the chapter and I was like, oh my gosh, that is life changing. And so then I went back and started reading chapter one and I found myself reading the entire book. And this book now sits on my shelf underlined and I reference it all the time. This book, literally, this book has had literally, there's a phrase in it that I use all the time in counseling, in marriage counseling, premarital counseling. But the reason I'm telling you that is that God's grace and the gift of God often feels like a gift that we didn't ask for. It often feels like a burden. If you don't understand the good news of God, if you don't understand what he's really done for you, and then you hear that you're supposed to serve him, that you're supposed to give money back to him, that you're supposed to give him your whole heart, it feels like a burden. It's like, well, I didn't ask for that gift. I didn't really want that to begin with. God, my life is so busy. Like, I don't really want to serve you. God, I don't want to give up things. If you don't understand the gift that God has given you, it's just like this book, that this book for an entire week felt like a burden. I didn't want it. I didn't ask for it. And I know they're going to ask me about it, so I've got to do it. I don't want to do it, but I have to do it. But then once you understand the gift, once you understand what Jesus has really done, it's no longer a burden. Now it's a joy, and you say, man, this is life-changing. That's what the grace of God does in our lives. And I want to show you this uh, in our text for today. Our text comes from a guy by the name of Paul, and he is a primetime player in the scriptures. He wrote over half of the New Testament, and he is going to connect grace with being thankful, grace and thanksgiving. He's going to show us that when we understand grace, it produces thankfulness in our hearts. So in 2 Corinthians 4.15, Paul writes, all this is for your benefit. Now I want to stop there for a second. All of what? We don't have a fat clue because we haven't read anything else before this. And so we need to rewind and we need to go back to 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12 in order to understand what the all this is for. This is what Paul writes just a few verses before this. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. So one of the things that I want to encourage you to do, and I want you to practice this, is I want you to learn how to read scripture with some holy curiosity. If you do not have holy curiosity, you will miss so much of the Bible. Like, for example, when Paul says we have this treasure in jars of clay, that means nothing to us. We don't really keep jars of clay around, so it doesn't mean anything to us. But if you're curious and you ask some questions, you'll find that in the ancient world, in Paul's world, what they would do is they would have these jars of clay that were cheap, they were kind of ugly, and they would sit in their house and they would store various things. And because they were cheap and because they were ugly... Oftentimes, if you had wealth, you would put it in the jar and no robber would, would think to look in there because it's like, that's just an ugly jar. Surely there's no treasure in there. Surely there's no gold. There's no worth. It's just an ugly pot sitting in the corner of the room. And so Paul says, let's go back at our text, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. What Paul is saying is that when you understand the gospel, the gospel is the treasure. 
and the jar of clay is our bodies. That our bodies, they're, they're falling apart. Like our bodies, I, I wish they could last forever. I wish we would always be healthy. But the older I get, the more my body discovers pain. I just wake up and I'm like, why does that hurt? I had a cold a few weeks ago and I sneezed and my shoulder started hurting. And I was like, why? I don't understand how this works. This is not connected to what I just did. Our bodies are falling apart. Our bodies are not perfect. We get tired, right? We, we, we feel all sorts of things. But despite that, despite our imperfections in our body, God has given us the gift of the gospel. And when you understand the gospel, you treasure it in your heart. It's like, even though my body is fading, even though my, my world may be falling apart, I've got this treasure locked inside of me. And because of that, he says, we are hard pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're never abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Okay, so to make sure, I know that was a lot of words, but to make sure you understand what Paul is saying is Paul is saying that he is literally going through persecution, that there are people who want to kill him, that he constantly gets thrown in prison and he gets beat. And if you look at him and just his circumstances, you would say that's not a very successful guy. But Paul says, despite the fact that there's persecution all around me, despite the fact that my circumstances don't always go my way, when I hold on to the death and resurrection of Jesus, it gives me hope that I'm perplexed. Why is this happening to me? But I'm not in despair. That's what the grace, that's what the gospel does for us. That even when life is hard, you can hold on to the fact that God gives you hope that he hasn't abandoned you, that you're not alone. So now that we understand all of that, you tracking with me? Now that we have all of that, we now can move on to 2 Corinthians 4.15. All of this is for your benefit. All of what? All the persecution that Paul's gone through, all the suffering that he's gone through. It's all for the people's benefit because he is holding on to the hope that they will hear the gospel and that they will understand the gospel. All of this is for your benefit. So that, there's two words underlined. Would you humor me just so I know you're awake? Would you read those two words that are underlined? The grace that is reaching more and more people. Now there's three words underlined. Humor me once again. Read those three words. May cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So Paul says all this is for, my, for, for your benefit. All the suffering, everything is for your benefit so that you could know and understand the gospel. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving. Now, Here's an example of where our English translations fall way short of what the original author intended. The original audience, when they read this, they would have seen that Paul is using a play on words. He is doing something that they would have read it. They would have said, huh? Ooh, that grabs my attention. That's exciting. When we see the words grace and thanksgiving, we think those aren't connected. Those are just two random words that Paul pulled out. But that is not what Paul did at all. The Greek word for grace is the word charis. Would you humor me and just say that out loud? One, two, three. Charis. Now, watch this. Get ready to have your jaw dropped. The Greek word for thanksgiving is eucharistian. Do you see how charis is in the word thanksgiving? The word grace is in the word thanksgiving. So what Paul is doing and what he's connecting to us is that when you understand grace, 
It produces thanksgiving. If you don't understand grace, you'll struggle to be thankful. If you understand grace, instead of being envious of someone, you'll say, man, I'm so thankful for the blessings I have. I don't have time to compare to other people. When you understand grace, you don't look at other people in judgment. You say, for the grace of God, if it weren't for God's grace, I'd be sinning just like them. When you understand the grace of God, it produces thanksgiving inside of you. When you understand, make sure, if you're taking any notes, I would encourage you to write this down. When you understand grace, you produce gratitude. But if you miss grace, you will struggle with gratitude. Gratitude, according to the scriptures, the, paint, the picture that, that the scriptures give us, is that gratitude is the feeling of happiness that you feel towards somebody who has shown you some undeserved kindness. That is, who has been gracious to you. When you understand what, what, what real grace is, what you understand is that's a gift that I didn't deserve. And that's a gift that I can't pay back. But it's a gift that's changed my life. And when you understand grace, when you understand that Jesus died for you, not because you deserved it, not because you're a good person, not because you've given some money, or because you've served, that God died for you when you were at your worst. And he loves you and he forgives you. When you understand that, it produces gratitude inside of you. Remember at the beginning when I talked about the ugly shirt and the other gifts that you don't need? The, the also like the gift, like the book that I was given and I didn't realize it was great until I started actually reading it. Grace is like that. Grace is a free gift that you are given. But if you don't understand it, if you don't think about the gospel and how and are reminded that grace is that forgiveness of your sins. If you don't constantly process that, you will miss the gift of Jesus and you will start to compare your life to other people. It's just the way that we're wired as human beings. Grace is, 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 is this amazing gift. But unfortunately, for way too many people, even way too many Christians, grace is something that we just don't tap into. It just sits on our shelf. And we kind of heard about it, and we kind of say, yeah, like, grace is good. But without the gospel, without thinking about it every day, we don't tap into the real power of grace. Here's something that um, I would encourage you to write down if you're taking notes. We don't like to think of ourselves as still desperately in need of God's rescuing grace. One of the reasons that we don't like to think about grace every day, and one of the reasons that we leave grace on the shelf, is as human beings, we are constantly... Um, justifying our own actions. We are constantly comparing our lives to other people. And as long as we do that, we don't really understand just how desperately we need grace. Because here's the truth of the matter. You can always find a worse sinner than you. And as long as you can find someone who sins differently or worse than you, you'll forget that, man, God's really saved you of your sin. It, it, it's kind of like this. Um, if, if you feel bad that you've put on some pounds in the holiday season, go to Golden Corral. You will find someone that's bigger than you. That's what we do all the time with sin. All the time we're comparing ourselves and we're like, yeah, I'm a sinful person, but look at that joker over there. He's way worse. But what grace does is grace is like putting a mirror up in front of your face and you're not comparing yourself to anyone else. Your heart is exposed and you say, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. And it's my sin that put Jesus on the cross. And it's my sin. It's my sin that causes me to fall short of God's glory. And I don't have time to focus on other people or what they've done because I'm just so grateful that God has forgiven me. 
Now, there's actually some psychological research behind why we do this. Why do we focus on other people and give ourselves a a pass? Um, According to psychologists, this is called fundamental attribution error. And fundamental attribution error states, when others wrong us, we assume the worst, but when we mess up, it's for a good reason. So here's how we're wired. This is literally how we're wired. When someone messes up against you, when someone offends you, your brain says they did that on purpose. There's something fundamentally wrong with them. They need to work on this. But when you mess up, your brain says, you should show me some grace. Isn't that messed up? Specifically, this is how it looks. When someone else offends you, we say things like, why is he so lazy? Right? When someone's late to the meeting, we say, why are they lazy? They just need to get their act together. When... Let's keep going. Maybe if she paid attention, we say things like, oh, the reason they missed all those meetings is because they just don't pay attention. There's something fundamentally wrong with them. If they would just do things like I would, then, then the world would be a better place. Or we say things like, if he didn't watch so much TV, the problem with the reason he's not getting more work done is because he's just lazy. He's just always watching TV. Or we say things like, she was so disrespectful. She's just a disrespectful person. That's just who she is. She can't help herself. Or we say things like, I can't tell her anything. She doesn't value confidentiality. Why? Because she's flawed from within. She just doesn't know how to keep secrets. But now contrast that with what we do. When we make the exact same mistakes as someone else, we start to say things like, I was stuck in traffic. I'm not lazy. I'm not selfish. Yes, I did leave 10 minutes late. And yes, there's only one car on the road other than me, but it's traffic. I was stuck in traffic. When we make a mistake, we say things like, oh, I just couldn't help it. It's not that I'm lazy. I just couldn't help it. When we make a mistake, we say things like, well, I've been sick. Like the reason I didn't get that work done is I've just been sick. I haven't been on my best game. We make excuses for it. Or we say things like, I was late because I put my family first. Right? Like I'm such a good person. The reason I didn't do that is because of all the, look how good I am. Now, please don't move past this too quickly because this is incredibly insightful for why grace is so important to our lives. And it's so incredibly important for you to understand how your brain is wired. We love to assume the best about ourselves and the worst about others. We judge others by their behavior and ourselves by our best intentions. So we judge other people because we don't like what they did, but we judge ourselves based off, well, I was trying I gave it my best. Why don't you show me grace? Why won't you be kind to me? Why are you so angry at me? We want grace for ourselves, but we want justice for other people. Pastor Chris Hodges says it this way. We've become great judges of other sins, but great lawyers of our own. I love that line. We are great judges. You deserve it. I hope you get punished. I hope you get everything coming to you. I hope you feel the hurt that I feel. We make the same mistake. We say, oh, it's not my fault. I didn't do it. I didn't cause it. It's not me. It's them. We've become great judges of other sin, but great lawyers of our own sin. This is so important because we are wired to justify our own sin. We're wired to justify our own wrongdoings. And when we do that, we miss out on the need for grace. And when we do that, grace becomes just something that sits on our shelf and we don't understand the gift that we've been handed. But when you start to really reflect on your heart and your life and what Jesus has saved you from, it changes everything. 
We don't like to think of ourselves as still desperately in need of God's rescuing grace, but we are. And I don't know when it happened. I don't know when it's crept into the churches, but at some point, this idea that once you get saved, you'll never struggle, it just crept into churches. And so people feel like we have to pretend to be better than we really are. We can't admit that we struggle because I have Jesus and I said a prayer and therefore I'm never going to struggle again. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you need Jesus, not just one time in a prayer at a student camp or in a church service. You need Jesus every day because your heart is constantly and my heart is constantly prone to wonder. It is going away from God. It is selfish. It is broken. It is constantly wanting to do what is in my best interest, even if it hurts other people. But the grace of God makes me say, God, you love me. And because you love me, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do those things. It is only by focusing on the gospel and the grace of God that you then start to change. With the gospel, we are constantly reminded of our need for grace. And I want to show you, I want to show you, not to beat you up at all, but just to really make this point. That when we don't understand the gospel, we constantly are, instead of thanking God for his forgiveness, we justify our own sin. I want to give you some things that we say often about ourselves, ways we justify our sin. We say things like, that really wasn't lust. I'm just a man who enjoys beauty. Right? When you don't understand the gospel, you justify things. That's not my fault. That's just, that's all guys. That's just the way that we're wired. No, you have a sinful heart, and that can only be saved and redeemed by Jesus. We say things like, that really wasn't gossip. It was just a detailed prayer request. We say things like, I'm justified in losing my temper because of what they did. If you had my kids, you would yell all the time too. Right? Without the gospel, we look at what other people have done to us and then we justify it. Well, yeah, I hit them. Yeah, I yelled. Yeah, I cussed them out. But did you see what they did? They deserve that. I'm not power hungry. I'm just focused. You ever met a Christian that was just so focused that they didn't care about who they walked on or who they hurt and they just were going to do what they wanted to do? At some point, they've forgotten the gospel. And everything that we do is about people. And we all have goals and things that we want to achieve, but no point in Christianity does it say in order to get to your goals, you walk over people. Without the gospel, we say things like, it wasn't really a lie, I just withheld some information. I just didn't tell them everything. Or we'll say this, at least I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. Without the gospel, we will constantly compare ourselves. At least I'm not as bad as them. I, I know, I know that, that I messed up, but like, do you know what Susie did? Let me tell you, I'm not gossiping. We're just going to pray for Susie. This last one is one that I, I hear all the time. That's not who I am. Can I just tell you that that phrase has no place in the heart of a Christian? Because the heart of a Christian that understands the gospel takes full responsibility for the actions that they've done. A handful of years ago, I was meeting with a friend of mine who was struggling in a relationship. And the reason he was struggling in the relationship is he had found the woman of his dreams, but he wasn't faithful to her. And so when she found out, she broke it off, and it broke his heart, and it crushed him. And so he is crying out to me, and I'm trying to show as much empathy as I possibly can. But then he says this phrase to me. He says, Rob, that's not who I am. 
And I said back to him, well, man, how many times do you have to cheat on her before that becomes who you are? And I don't mean this to beat you up, but like you're never going to change unless you embrace that is who you are. You did that because that deceptive thing, that thing was in your heart. You shouldn't justify it. You shouldn't, you shouldn't pretend it's not there. You shouldn't rationalize it. The only way to move forward is for you to embrace that is who you are. But God has saved you from that. And God doesn't hold that against you. And God has forgiven you from that. And when you understand that, it pours the grace inside of you that you become a less a judgmental person and you become a less envious person and you become a person who is full of thanksgiving. But until you understand the grace of God, you will constantly rationalize and say, well, that's just not who I am. Grace is only attractive to sinners. It's only attractive to sinners. And until you realize that you are a sinner, even if you believe in Jesus, you still are a sinner. Until you realize that grace just becomes a book that sits on your shelf. But when you understand the gospel that points out that, yeah, you're still a sinner. Yeah, you love Jesus and you still sin. And you're still in need of the grace of God. When you understand that, it changes everything. Here's some application for you. The way that you begin to celebrate the grace that God gives every day is by admitting how much you need it. And if you would just admit that sometimes you're not very thankful, sometimes you're not very grateful, sometimes you struggle with envy or comparison or being judgmental, if you could just have the humility to admit that some of that stuff is inside of you, I'm telling you, this is the key. The way to change that is to start focusing on the grace of God every single day. And when you wake up and you just say, God, thank you for a new day. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the new identity. Thank you that I'm not what I did yesterday, but I'm who you say I am. Thank you that you've forgiven me. God, even though I blow it every day, you still love me and you don't hold my sin against me. Thank you for what you've done. When you embrace God's grace, it produces gratitude inside of you. Will you pray with me? God, we come before you and we just thank you that you are a God who gives us grace upon grace that you don't hold our sin against us. God, you forgive us, but you forgive us not so just that we keep sinning and that we keep enjoying our sin. You forgive us so that we will embrace your grace and say no to the very sin that entraps us. So I ask God that right now in this moment, for everyone that is, is watching at home and everyone in this service, God, I ask in Jesus' name that you would capture our hearts with your grace and that you would help us to know that we are forgiven and that you would change us from the inside out. I thank you for what you're going to do and for how you're going to do it in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. If you would like to hear more, please visit our website at nextlevelchurch.net. You can also follow us on social media at nextlevel757. Join us next time.